Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk to radio legend Jody McDonald. He's the host of Birds 365 for Jacob Media. I'm a frequent guest on his show that he does with John McMullen. So uh, looking forward to talking to him about what's been going on with the Eagles here at the end of the season and what he thinks is going to happen over the next few days and weeks and months as we try to recap a dreadful ending to this 2023 Eagles season. As I'm recording this here late on Friday night, I was thinking we were going to get some news coming out of Nick Sirianni's meeting with Jeffrey Lurie. Perhaps no news means that Nick Sirianni is staying. Otherwise, there would be something to report. But uh, as I sit here late on Friday night, Nick Sirianni is still the head coach. There's no white smoke coming out of the top of the NovaCare complex. And so uh, we are working under the assumption that the meeting ended without Nick Sirianni getting fired. But of course, Saturday is another day. And by the time you hear this podcast, that may have all changed. But Jody and I uh, are going to talk a little bit about uh, what uh, what he thinks is is happening at what has happened and what he thinks is going to happen uh, coming up here on this edition of the podcast. And um, a couple other things I'll mention here and uh, do a quick divisional round preview for you. Uh, as I know, maybe some of you guys aren't going to be interested in watching the playoffs from here on out. But, you know, for me, I, th- I think it'll be, you know, maybe a blessing to be able to watch some playoff football without having to worry about the Eagles and everything else that's going on with them. Just a such a disgusting finish to the season. It almost kind of feels like the end of the Sixers season did last year, where you almost, you just have a, a, such a strong dislike for this team. And that's that's one of the big tragedies, I think, of the 23 Eagles is, is that we went from loving this team to being over the moon hyped about this team to the vibes about this team being off the charts to, in two months, hating this team, just disliking everything about it, their interactions with each other, all the, all the, the, the finger-pointing that's come out in the media over the last couple of weeks, the, the breakdown of the locker room and all that kind of stuff. And I, I wrote a story for, for Bleeding Green Nation this week uh, that I wanted to talk a little bit more about, and it was eight unanswered questions uh, about the end of this season. And I'm going to bring some of this stuff up when I talk to Jody here in, in just a second. But I really feel like there are some things that happen during the course of the season that we don't have an answer for. We may not get an answer for it. But I want to. I think it's important in order to move forward, how, how, how is this going to fix itself? Because if we don't get answers to these questions, the same thing's going to happen all over again. And I'm going to move through them quickly because I want to get to my conversation with with Jody McDonald. But I, I will say before we jump into this that I, I think the biggest tragedy of not and tragedy. I'm throwing the word tragedy around. There are tragedies in this world. Nothing that happens in sports unless it involves a death is a tragedy. Now, certainly, if a coach gets fired, that affects a family that could be 
tragic for that family in some ways, but I, I don't mean to use that word flippantly, but when we're talking about just in, in the aspect of sports, when I use that word, it's just strictly for, in a sports connotation. So I don't want people to think like I'm, um, I'm, you know, losing, losing sense of where sports should fall in our, in our, in our society, I guess, for, for lack of a word. Anyway, you don't care about that. Um, I, I really felt like coming into this season that I knew a couple of things for certain. I knew after watching Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl that he was a franchise quarterback and a Super Bowl winning caliber quarterback. Felt for sure. Felt for sure he was a top five, if not top three quarterback in the NFL, which I think he was last year. I felt for sure like the Eagles had the best culture of any team in the NFL. That Nick Sirianni had cultivated a culture along with Jalen Hurts that was the best in the NFL, where the Eagles were a family, everybody rowing in the same direction, everybody rooting for each other, offense, defense, getting along together, playing complimentary football and working together, holding each other accountable. On you know just a, a locker room full of honor where these guys where these guys had each other's backs, and I really believed in Jalen Hurts as both a player and as a leader. Everything you heard about Jalen Hurts was that was that he he had these intangibles about him that made him. And I've talked about this on the podcast before. This this uh, the the fall of Jalen Hurts. I think a little bit as as a leader here or as as somebody who is a true franchise quarterback north star. Right. I mean this is this was a guy I was sure was going to win a Super Bowl someday. Sure of it. Sure of it. And and he didn't he didn't play poorly in 2023. And I think we'll find out as time goes along here, that the coaching and the scheme and everything else didn't do him any favors at all. But one of the, and I'm, he's going to come up in one of my unanswered questions here in just a second, so I'll save a little bit there. But I thought I knew what we had in Jalen Hurts, both as a player and as someone who was able to, who had the respect of the locker room, who was able to overcome some of these kinds of things. And I really thought that he was going to be a player that when the chips were down, would raise the level of his game. And that never happened here in 2023. Jalen Hurts' body language was awful towards the end of the season. He didn't have any answers for any of the problems going on with the Eagles. We, we, never, saw, we never saw him rally the troops together. And, and I'll say this about Jalen Hurts, and, and I know the leadership stuff has come up with him in, in, in one of those articles. I think it was the Jeff McClain article where people were worried that he was too stoic. And I'll say this about, about that. Jalen Hurts is who he is. And it certainly seems as though when the team was winning last year and having all that success, the humility that he showed, the straight-ahead nature to to move forward, to not make too much, to, to not get too high on your success, was a were valuable traits, and it helped keep the rest of the team humble and driving and, and, and all those different things, and it worked. But I also think if you're a, a true leader of men. If you are somebody who's going to try to get the most out of your teammates, which I think is fair to expect of a $250 million quarterback who has supposedly had all of these intangibles, all of these team leadership things, that you also have to adapt. When things aren't going well, there may be things about yourself and your approach to the game, your approach to your teammates that has to change. And I don't see why people don't understand that. People who are saying things like, oh, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't think Jalen Hurts was a bad leader last year when they were doing well, and he's the same guy. Well, part of the problem is that if you don't change as the situation around you changes, then you're not a good leader. You have to adapt. Sometimes you have to adapt your personality 
sometimes you have to adapt the way you play. I mean, I don't need Jalen Hurts to get on top of the to get on top of the uh, the bench on the sidelines and whooping a towel over his head and and you know being goofy on the sidelines or, or anything like that. He's a serious guy, and he's going to lead the team in a serious way. But it doesn't. It sure seemed like there were times, especially in the slide, where the team was looking to him for answers and to lead. And based on what I can see, he didn't have anything. His face was expressionless. It looked like he had. It looked. It looked like he was just as shell shocked as everybody else. He he had. There there was no inspiration coming from Jalen Hurts. And you heard, you know, they, I think NFL Films had something like one of the Jalen Hurts uh, rah-rah things before the game. It just, you could tell it was hollow. Nobody, nobody was believing it. Nobody was believing it. And I think that's been the, that was the fact, I thought I knew what we had in Jalen Hurts. I thought I knew what we had in Nick Sirianni. I thought I knew what we had in this team. And it turned out to be a total mirage. And I think that's the same for most of you listening. And that's why we are so disgusted by what we saw because it, it I think it kind of felt like we were fooled a little bit. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are so hot for Nick Sirianni to get out of here because it, it kind of felt like we were sold a bill of goods. And so my first unanswered question is why did the veteran leadership fail to heal locker room lifts uh, rifts? You know, all along we heard we had an emotionally intelligent head coach, a quarterback who was the unquestioned heartbeat of the team. You know, you had Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, all these different guys in there. They were supposed to Keep this locker room together. But we saw A.J. Brown arguing with Jalen Hurts on the sidelines in week two. What's and we kind of we kind of you know laughed it off and they they laughed it off and you know we no big deal, you know, we were just blah 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 blah. Something was going on since the beginning of the season. This didn't all just happen when they lost to the 49ers. This locker room culture started going south in the beginning of the season. And no one inside the locker room seemed to be able to get a handle on it. And that's disappointing because I really felt like we kept hearing all those defend all those veteran leaders in, in the locker room, they were gonna keep they were gonna keep things together. And that clearly didn't happen. Number two, are Sirianni and Brian Johnson competent? Their failure to adjust for blitzes, particularly over these last few weeks, is inexplicable. I can't imagine how Nick Sirianni is defending his unwillingness or inability to adapt the offense, specifically in the Tampa playoff game after they just got their doors blitzed off against the Giants. They knew it was coming, and they were still unready for it. There was 10 unblocked pressures on Jalen Hurts in this game. There was nothing that Tampa did, Tampa did that was a surprise, but the, the offense was uneven all year. It was unimaginative. Jalen Hurts was trying to make chicken salad out of chicken crap all year long. There were times it worked. But the, the offense just they're, they're developed such a level of incompetence that it was, it was either incompetence or ignorance or stupidity. Either way, I don't know how Nick Sirianni, like if you're telling Jeffrey Lurie, I've got the answers to fix this, I know what we need to do. Well, why didn't you do that during the last two months? I can't imagine what the solutions would be. I just, I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. Uh, question number three, has Sirianni lost the locker room? Troy Aikman certainly seemed to think so, talking about them being a defeated team when they came into the game. He saw Dallas Goddard yelling at Jalen Hurts, and he said it had to do with something uh, that he was mad at himself at a mistake. I don't buy that. I don't believe it. You know, and, and the Eagles players have defended Nick Sirianni. Uh, initially, Jalen Hurts was like, well, I didn't know he was going anywhere. That's, that's, there is no world 
in which Hertz wasn't aware of the criticism surrounding Sirianni. None. And, and Fletcher Cox played ignorant too. No one's buying that. No one's believing that, okay? You guys know that Nick Sirianni is on the hot seat based on what happened. So don't sit here and, and try and pretend like the reporters are the bad guys for asking these questions. We, we've been talking about it nonstop for the last two or three weeks. And, and unless, unless you're, you're, you're blind, deaf, and mute, you know about it. And he did not come out with a forceful defense of his head coach. Given the chance to uh, get a mulligan on that and, and say it a couple days later, Hertz was a little bit more forceful in his defense of Nick Sirianni. But there's some stuff going on inside that offensive, inside those offensive meetings. Something went wrong this year. Number four, and this is a big one. What happened to Jalen Hurts' running ability? If you look at highlights from him running last year and then to this year, it is a completely different player. He looked slower. He looked less agile. He couldn't get to the outside. He was less decisive. He couldn't make guys miss. He was absolutely dead set on not initiating contact this year. And if that's the quarterback he's going to be, then I don't think you're getting the most out of your $250 million. That's not what I was, that's not what I thought we were getting. The guy who almost beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl last year was this dynamic guy with his legs and his arm. Both of those things. There was absolutely nothing dynamic about Jalen Hurts' legs in 2023. And I want to know why. I'm guessing there was an injury that nobody wanted to talk about this year. But he looked he looked slower from week one. And he looked like a guy who was scared of contact all season long. You saw it in the pocket. He had he had worse pocket presence, worse pocket awareness when he was pressured. And he just he he could not get away from defenders. He he couldn't accelerate past defenders like he did last year. Last year, if it was a, it was third and seven, and Jalen Hurts tucked the ball and started to run, you knew he was getting a first down. This year, he's sliding three yards short of a first down. And, and well, I'm going to talk to Jody more about that in a second, but I think that is a huge unanswered question. What is Jalen Hurts now? If he's a pocket passer only who can roll out every once in a while, then he shouldn't be running a shotgun-only RPO offense. He should be under center. There should be, a, there should be a pistol. There should be other things going on. It's like they never adjusted for the fact that defensive coaches did not have to account for Jalen Hurts' running ability in any way, shape, or form. Another unanswered question, uh, and we talked a little bit about it, does Jalen Hurts' personality and leadership style matter? Another unanswered question, why did the defense fail so spectacularly? And it comes down to the fact that they hired the wrong defensive coordinator in Sean Desai. He made things way too difficult. That's the reporting from Tim McManus of ESPN. The defensive players just couldn't figure out what they were supposed to do most of the time because, you know, it's like those, I don't know if you've ever, if you've encountered some of these newer board games out there where the instructions are so complicated to play a board game that you need to sit down and watch a half hour YouTube tutorial to figure out how the board game works. I don't have time for that. We got this game, Apollo 11. Looks like a really fun game. It is so complicated that it literally, there's a half-hour YouTube video you need to watch in order to understand how the different aspects of the game go. Like, you, if you roll the dice, and you, your, your turn consists of four parts, and you can choose to do three things in the first part and choose to do two things in the second part, but only if you choose to do the one thing in the first part. You know, it's just, no. But that's what Sean Desai's defensive scheme was like. And so def the defensive players couldn't understand it. They didn't like it. But then they decided to have Matt Patricia come on and made it 10 million times worse. But the Eagles also saw their cornerbacks 
play, specifically James Bradbury's play, declined. The defensive line's productivity dropped off. Uh, you had um, uh, Howie Roseman not prioritizing or even caring about linebackers or safety, and it bit them this year when they went out and they tried to get Kevin Byard and Zach Cunningham, Nicholas Morrow, Bradley Roby. None of those guys played really well. None of them. Just a total whiff on that part of the defense. Uh, Jason Kelsey. We don't know the future of Jason Kelsey. Uh, Cam Jurgens was was drafted to replace Jason Kelsey. He's looked good playing center in a couple of preseason games, but that ain't the same thing as Jason Kelsey. And I think how angry is Jeffrey Lurie was my last unanswered question, and I think we're going to get a decision on that coming up here uh, in the next uh, in the next couple of days. Hopefully, hopefully this podcast will have a chance to marinate a little bit before we hear from the Eagles uh, and Jeffrey Lurie on that account. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Well, joining me to talk about the end of this Eagle season and to take a look ahead at what might be coming over the next couple of weeks and months, Sports radio talk legend Jody McDonald. Of course, you know him from Birds 365 for Jacob Sports Media. And uh, he also, you can hear him on WIP. You can hear him on WFAN. You can hear him on CBS Sports Radio, all those different places. Jody, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy. How are you, buddy? Always a pleasure to shoot the breeze with you, Mr. Stoneless. Thank you very much for inviting me on my show. I've only asked you to come on my show like 20 <laughs> times, so I'm catching up. I, yeah, I, I finally made an appearance on one of yours. I got a little uh, room yeah. to make up here. Well, so many of these uh, Eye on the Enemy podcasts are like reserved for wh- whatever team we're going to play that week so we can look into it and stuff. But off season, your phone's going to be ringing, so don't worry about that. I'll tell you what. Um, and, and listen, it's always a pleasure to come on and talk with you and, and John McMullen. You guys do an amazing job. And you're talking about, obviously, this 24-7, you know, 365. This is, this is what's been our whole conversation over the last month or so. What has happened to this Eagles team? What is the future of the coaching staff and trying to parcel out blame? And it's really difficult to do because I, I think all the interested parties share blame. And that's yep. not an easy answer. And that kind of makes it a more difficult fix, doesn't it? Everybody wants to have a villain when it goes yeah. as badly as it did for the Eagles. And it is the biggest collapse. I've I've been in Philadelphia 30 some odd years. Nothing's even close to it. It's one of the bigger collapses in sports in general over mm-hmm. the last 10, 15, 20 years. So somebody's got to take a bullet. Somebody's got to be blamed. And I'm with you that there's blame to go around here. That this it'd be real easy and simple if you could just point to one guy and say, "Well, it's mostly his fault." I, I don't know that that exists. 
Yeah. Should Sirianni take blame? Yes. Should the coordinates take blame? Oh, yeah. And at least one of them's going to pay for, pay for it with a job, maybe both. Um, should Howie Roseman take blame? Yeah, he should. This, yeah. this roster on the defensive side just wasn't good enough. We wondered about it coming into the season. Our fears played out over 17 games. He didn't do enough. They lost people on the defensive side, and he picked and choose retreads from other teams that just didn't get the job done. And, oh, my God, was that tackling display in the Tampa game the worst that I've seen in decades? I mean, just futile. So it'd be real nice and easy if we could just point our finger at somebody. Yeah, he's got to go because it's mostly yeah. his fault. No, it's an across-the-board thing, Johnny Stolnitz. Yeah, what does that say to you? And the tackling in, in particular, and you, I'm sure you by now have heard Ray Lewis's comments talking about how the, you know the the angles that the defenders were taking were were awful, and and then Troy Aikman on the broadcast is, is is talking about this team as a defeated team and that they were defeated coming in, which I can you know yeah obviously that's that's how we saw it all play out on, on the field there, and there were some guys that appeared to be putting forth a really strong effort. You know, Devontae Smith really you could tell was was balling out in that game. I thought the defensive line played really well. I've been kind of waiting for that kind of a defensive line performance, especially rushing the passer over the mm-hmm. left that hasn't been there. I thought those guys mostly showed up in that game. But the rest of it, there was just no effort on tackling. The angles that they were taking were terrible. And I guess the question that we're all trying to figure out is how much of this is on players, the overall way that they took the field and then performed when they were on there, and how much of it is on the coaching staff. When, when you're talking about the tackling and the effort and what Troy Aikman said, do you get any kind of a glimpse into into what we might be looking at here? The thing that jumped out at me uh, after the game was, Shame on Dallas Goddard. He didn't get the memo out to his teammates that we threw it into neutral once we made the playoffs. And we've just been cruising these last six or seven weeks as we lose game after game after Mm -hmm. game. You're supposed to flip the switch back on when the playoffs show up. They didn't get the memo from Dallas Goddard. Shame on Dallas. you got to get a distribution uh, better than that big guy. Uh, No, coaching, individual players – Mm-hmm. I do think there was quit in that team in the second half. People love to throw that word around, and I don't really believe athletes quit. That they, they make a bad play, and then they just say, well, I'm not going to try as hard as I did on a previous play. No, of course, they're trying hard on every play. But, uh, yeah, that bad coaching, uh, the thing that is going to bite them in the – well, has bit them in the butt is the biggest. The panic move of putting Matt Patricia in place – Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Desai didn't do a great job. The Eagles' defense was very weak. That's why they tried what they did. It actually got worse. Yeah. It was worse under Patricia than it was under Desai. And nobody would have believed that or uh, they never would have made the move. Yet yeah, this was a total, if you're looking for a bright spot, it was a team collapse. It may make your life as a talk show host more difficult because you can't point the finger at just one guy. But it was across the board. This is mm-hmm. this was a team complete collapse, and it'll be a very interesting to see how Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman handle it. Yeah, and, and as we're as we're talking here, we're expecting Laurie and uh, Sirianni to to have their meeting at, at some point today. So some of what we're talking about here um, may or may not be moot by the by the time some folks hear this. But you know, as far as what they're what they're going to be discussing, if you're Nick Sirianni, what are you saying to Jeffrey Laurie to try to convince him to keep him as the head coach? If Nick Sirianni is a smart guy, and I think he's a relatively smart guy. He'll take his lead. He'll be led down a a path. Better have some answers, at least some 
possibilities that you can do differently. He's got to take a couple of bullets, but mm-hmm. he'll be smart enough. I think the only way Nick Sirianni isn't the coach of the Eagles uh, after today's big powwow is he's got to shoot himself and or make the decision that he doesn't want to be the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles anymore, which we just saw with Doug Peterson. I think Doug got to a point just said, no, you're going to make me jump through all these hoops? No, yeah. I'm not doing it. Uh Go ahead, pay me off. I'll go find another job somewhere else. He didn't want to do it, but he got pushed around enough and he was dictated to enough that he decided to flex his muscles and go out the door. I don't think Nick Sirianni is there. I don't think he wants to be the coach of another team. And he will be dictated to today. He really hasn't been since he's taken over. Unless we find out somewhere down the road that the whole Matt Patricia taking over the defense was uh, a, a memo from above, and he was told to do it. He put this coaching staff together. He hasn't felt a lot of pressure. At least Doug had been told, Mike Rowe and the like, that they had their hands all over his coaching staff previous, and they wanted to reconstruct it in uh, th- their own design, and yeah. he just said enough is enough. I don't think Sirianni is there. I don't think he's heard enough criticism. I don't think he's been told and dictated to. So I think he's going to take his medicine and whatever they want to do with his coaching staff, he's going to sign off on. And if he's got any answers whatsoever, he's going to keep his job as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and I guess the the question that a lot of us are asking is if if he has to bring in, and, and I, I think you know what we've seen over these last few weeks is that the scheme that he's running is, is so basic. I mean, I think it was... Um, uh, I forget which uh, former player now it was. It said basically he's oh Steve Smith. I think former Panthers wide receiver was saying this is a high school offense. I mean, there's just there, there's no mystery in what the Eagles are doing. Everyone's caught up, and we were seeing that over and over again on the all twenty twos on the film. There's nothing going over the middle. There was a, a, a tweet that came out earlier on Friday where they basically took a look at all the quarterback pass distributions from Wild Card Weekend, and every other quarterback has thrown the ball in the middle of the field. Jalen Hurts had like two throws in the middle of the field. Like they're just they're ignoring certain players or ignoring certain positions in the field they're you know they're they're the, the blitz obviously the fact they weren't able to figure that out over the course of the last six seven eight ten weeks of the season that never got addressed I, I just how does how does Nick Sirianni go in there and say like I can fix these things because if he could have fixed those things why wouldn't he have fixed them when they still had a chance to make some noise this year and I think that's that's the big conundrum for me is even if you bring in a brand new offensive coordinator if it's a different scheme than what Sirianni wants to run and he and, and he's not going to be calling the plays. Then I just I, I don't I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why Sirianni is your guy at that point. I'll give you a potential line of explanation slash defense that Sirianni may use because what you just said was was accurate. Uh, if you want to call it a high school offense, go ahead. That high school offense got them to the Super Bowl last year. They they didn't change much at all. So yeah. you can't. Oh, a high school offense can't work in the NFL. Except it did last year, all the way to the Super Bowl, tied with 10 seconds to go. What Sirianni's problem was, yeah, they catch up. And people figure out. And you got to have a plan B. And I don't think he had a plan B this year. So that's what I would go with if I'm sitting down across from my boss and he says, it just blew up on you. What are you going to do differently? Oh, I'm going to be quicker to adjust. I'm going to have a plan B. I'm not just going to say... You know, I think we're going to miss Shane, so maybe I better keep it real simplistic and not try and do too much. We know this worked last year, so it'll work again this year. 
Never did they adjust all year. There were no major. The biggest change was putting Patricia in. He did it on the defense side of the ball, not his side, because he didn't believe his offense could be figured out. Well, it was. So he's got to admit to the fact that, yeah, I should have been quicker to react to it, and there should have been more flexibility to our offense. If he does that, I think Jeff Laurie will buy it. Do you think that it'll be Nick Sirianni who's making a lot of these decisions on who his assistant coaches are going to be, who his offensive coordinator is going to be. I guess it's an open question as to whether or not Brian Johnson will be back. I mean, it's possible that Johnson will be back. And you could make the argument that if Sirianni's going to stay, Johnson should stay, and just for continuity for Jalen Hurts' sake. But obviously you need, you need to then bring in some outside voices. And then maybe you're looking at a Rich Scangarella-type situation where you have these voices that don't fit with what everybody else is used to doing and, and, and all of that. But do you get the sense that that the it's going to be Sirianni or or Roseman or or, or Lori who's going to have the final say on coaches? Um, mostly Howie. If Jeff wants something, wants someone, it'll get done because he's mm-hmm. the owner, uh, mm-hmm. and he'll do it through Howie. But I think Howie will be the main guy in determining the changes that they make, both who's getting fired and who's getting hired. I don't think they'll tell Nick, hey, we'll call you when we put your staff together. I think he'll be in on all the conversations, and his opinion will certainly be registered. But if the powers that be above him want someone and want to go in a specific direction, I think Nick's going to have to sign off on it. I I don't think he's going to have any veto power. I don't think he's going to have any final say power. Uh, If you believe that he hired the the key guys for his staff, the new two-no coordinators this year, he took Mm -hmm. it 0 for 2. So, sorry, you get... You get to come off the bench now. We're going to do this, and uh, we'll talk to you about it, but I don't think they're going to allow him to make the call. And I I, I seem to be in the minority on this, and I'm okay with that. I think Brian Johnson should be fired. I don't think he did a good job this year. I know Nick continued to say, well, it's my offense. Brian just calling the plays. Well, that's an important role, calling the plays, mm-hmm. and I think he did a poor job of it. And people are wondering, oh, would you do that to Jalen? Jalen's the one concert. It's not changing. $250 million says he's sticking around. Um, Jalen's had six different offensive coordinators in the last six years before. Steichen did two years in a row. And, oh, by the way, he got better every single year, going from Alabama to Oklahoma to the NFL. Mm -hmm. He continued to get better. This year, he went backwards. Why? What happened? The only major change that was made was his buddy, his pal, his guy that he's known since he was a kid, was feeding him the place. Right. So that, to me, is on Brian Johnson. Yeah. I would not worry at all. Oh, you can If, if, if Jalen wants Brian to stick around, they changed him six years <laughs> in a row and he worked through it. Why wouldn't yeah. he be able to work through it again and say, just check the 15th and the 30th and the bank account? You're doing all right there, Jalen. We we need you to go along with this on uh, along with us on this. I, I think they should. And if you ask me right here, right now, John, I think they will. I think they're getting rid of both of their coordinators. I think Howie Roseman slash Jeff Laurie will be selecting a new offensive and defense coordinator for Nick Sirianni. One of the things that was most troubling in the week leading up, in the days leading up to the game, were all these different reports. Tim McManus had one. Uh, uh, Jeff McClain had one. There was another uh, national report where you just hear see different parts of the offensive, 
side of things, throwing stones at each other. It seemed like uh, there was a Nick Sirianni camp, a Brian Johnson camp, and a Jalen Hurts' camp seeing, seemingly trying to deflect responsibility. I think it was McManus's story that basically said Nick Sirianni was overruling Brian Johnson on certain calls, and that that was some of the reason you saw so much confusion sometimes with towards the end of the season, plays getting in late. And to me, that seems like those two guys – aren't able to work together. And then there were also reports that Jalen, Jalen Hurts' vision for the offense wasn't being taken into account. And there were three things that he wanted to do and throws that he wanted to make, like using the middle of the field more. And for whatever reason, those, those types of things didn't end up happening. And then you heard criticism of Jalen Hurts going to, uh, going to off script too much of the time. And so, I just it doesn't seem to me like you can bring all the all three of those guys back. I, I agree with you that it, it doesn't sound like base if all of that stuff is to be believed, it doesn't seem like it's possible that you could that you could have that triumvirate go through it again here in, in twenty twenty four. I, I did want to double back on something about Jalen Hurts too, because I said it when I was on your show last week that Jalen Hurts from the very start of the season looked like a different player. He Last year, part of Nick Sirianni's offense, and one of the reasons why it ran so well was because you had the threat of Jalen Hurts running the football. Yep. At some point this season, teams no longer had to account for Jalen Hurts as a runner. And it was from very early in the season. It became very clear week two, week three, Jalen Hurts was not going to be the same runner. No longer did it seem like he was willing to run. It also looked like he was slower, and it looked like his explosiveness had disappeared. And this was before the knee injury, too. He didn't appear to have any way to accelerate to the outside, make guys miss in the middle of the field. He, he clearly didn't want to take on contact, which, again, we could understand early in the season. I think we all assumed that part of his game would come back late in the season as the stakes got higher, and it never did. What's your best theory on why Jalen Hurts as a running quarterback, why that aspect of his game completely disappeared because I think that had a monstrous impact on this offense's ability to function, specifically also against the Blitz. Teams could send extra runners and did not have to worry about Jalen Hurts beating them with his legs. Here's one of the core problems with the Philadelphia Eagles during this offseason that you've just led me down this path. Nick Sirianni made himself a liar this year. Mm-hmm. The whole Patricia thing, he made Sean Desai go up there and answer questions as the defensive coordinator when the players had already been told, we're making a change. He was asked the day before, are you making any changes to your coaching staff? And he looked right in the camera and said, well, we're fine with both of our coordinators. The guy was already fired. Yeah. So I don't know when to take Nick Sirianni at his word anymore. Because the specific and most telling quote for me on Jalen Hurts, the runner, was... Right after he signed the contract, Sirianni was asked, well, because he's now a $250 million man, is Jalen going to run less next year? And Nick's quote was, quote unquote, why would I take his superpower away? And I took him at his word at that. I said, all right, that's good, because I think they need that, that plus one aspect to the Mm -hmm. offense. I think it was a key part of them last year. I was glad to hear it was staying. And then, as you pointed out, season started, it was gone. Jalen was sliding. Jalen was just taking sack. Get out of the pocket and then just go to his rump and take a four-yard loss. What is that? I still, to this day, don't know. Did the organization decide it? Did it come from above that Laurie and Norseman said, hey, we're on the hook for $250 million. We can't put this guy at risk. You got to coach him up. You got to teach him, listen, we're just not doing that anymore. 
was a Tyranni who, because in agreement with the front office, said, oh, yeah, I'll reel him in. Uh, we'll design the offense. He won't be put out. Or was it Jalen himself who said, listen, I, I, now I was the leader before I know I was runner-up MVP, but now they pay me $250 million. I got to be on the field for all 17 games. I can't put myself at risk. I don't want to put myself at risk. I'm going to make this decision myself to slide more or just jog out of bounds or go to my backside. I still don't know. Uh, you asked me a question, and I'm giving you a lame answer if I don't know. But <laughs> it is very telling that Nick Sirianni went out of his way to say Jalen is keeping his superpower, and then it didn't happen. I don't know if Nick was just taking advantage of being able to lie as the head coach or if he was covering for Jalen. I honestly don't know the answer to that one, John. Yeah, and – I guess the end of the day, whether he decided to be a running quarterback or not a running quarterback, they didn't change the offense at all. It doesn't seem to account for that. And nope. that, that that falls on the coaching staff. If you know your quarterback's not going to run, then you gotta you got to figure out different ways to try and get defenses on their toes a little bit, and they, they just never did that. Last question on on the, looking back, and, and then we'll kind of, you know, talk, I did want to talk to you a little bit about um, the playoffs the, the, this weekend. But as sure. far as the defense goes, do you anticipate – that we're done with this Vic Fangio playing back, no deep shots on us, because it certainly did not stop teams from hitting the big play, right? I mean, this whole the whole defense is designed around preventing the big play. They gave up more big plays playing this style of defense with the personnel that they had. And to me, as uh, all the reporting you heard, even when Desai was there, like these guys just had – too many things to do in their mental checklist. Well, if this guy goes here, I do this. Then if this happens, then I do this. And it was too much for, for a lot of these defensive players when Desai was there. Patricia just tried to do something different, and that was like trying to teach somebody a new language a week before they're going to go spend a week in a foreign country. You know, it just, that's, that's just – that's not going to work. And so I think, you know, we've seen some of the really successful defenses right now in the current NFL. When you're dictating things as a defense, you have players who are more confident. They're going to fly to the football, and they're going to impact things more. And if you give up the 60-yard bomb, all the better if you've got a a good offense and you're letting your offense get the ball back on the field. I I think we're entering a stage of NFL defenses where – Okay, you give up a big one, fine. We've got a great offense. I would rather our offense be on the field than our defense for an eight, nine-minute drive. Here's why I think it is going to change, and there'll be something other than a Fangio defense in place. I don't know if it was completely Nick Sirianni's idea to go this direction when he came in and took over. John McMullen says all the time on our Birds 365 show, the Eagles were going to hire Jonathan Gannon anyway. Mm-hmm. didn't matter that he had a relationship with Nick Sirianni, that he was going to be their defensive coordinator, that they had made that decision before they made the decision to hire Nick. So at least in part, they signed off on the Fangio defense because if you're hiring Gannon, you know that's what you're getting. So I'm hoping that all parties included, head coach, general manager, and owner, look at this and go, all right, we tried it, didn't work, we got to get out. I I don't know that that's the case. I'm guessing that's going to be the case. I don't know that Nick is going to fight and scratch and claw and go, no, this is my uh, my belief in defense is going to prevent the big plays. Hello, as Thomas just said, all you did was give up big plays all year. I'm hoping that's the case. I don't know it, John. There are other ways that they can go, other types of coordinators they can bring in. And, again, it's going to have to come from above because – 
I think they're making a the call on the defensive coordinator, and Nick is just going to have to roll with the punches. Uh, so for those who just want to say, well, it was all Nick Sirianni's doing on defense, too. No, it yeah. wasn't. It was an organizational thing because they were going to hire Gannon anyway. And then Nick liked it, so he took it to the mat this year and said, I'm getting me a Fangio guy, and that's why I hired Desai. Yeah, and obviously you go back to the beginning of the offseason, um, deciding not to bring on Denard Wilson as your defensive coordinator uh, was looking back a mistake. And, and the fact that Jonathan Gannon, they thought he was staying, and then he left after the Super Bowl, deprived them of actually keeping Vic Fangio uh, in the building as the defensive coordinator. You, you hire Sean Desai. That's where the real mistake was, because obviously by the middle of the season, it seemed to everybody in the in the building that he wasn't the right guy for the job, but you were kind of stuck with it, and you had this, this guy, Matt Patricia, who's never been a good defensive coordinator, but he's the only one who'd ever done it before that was on the sideline. So you you give him the job, and what a disaster! Um, looking at the um, at the re- kind of the the playoff field and what happened last weekend, real quick about the Cowboys. I, I w- obviously the day before the Eagles played, we're feeling really happy about what we saw going on in Dallas with the Green Bay Packers. What a disaster for them! Which fan base has it worse right now, Dallas or Philadelphia, following their two early exits from the playoffs? Oh, it's not even close. Dallas is worse because yeah, the so. Eagles are still just. Not even a year, 11 months away from being in the Super Bowl. Cowboys haven't sniffed the Super Bowl in two decades plus. <laughs> so it depends on your narrow focus. But if you're just talking, who was more disappointed by the 2023 season? Now you got to debate because the Eagles, yeah. in my, for my money, I had them going back to the Super Bowl again. So the disappointment of just this season, yes. But if you're a fan, you're a fan. You've been a fan for five years, 10 years, 15, 25, 30 years. Yeah, you, you know it all. You lived it all. And the Cowboy fans have been more long-suffering than the Eagle fans are. are. So I would say Cowboys fans are suffering more. All right, last thing for you, divisional round games coming up this weekend. you got the Texans at the Ravens. The Ravens are nine-point favorites. you got the Packers at the 49ers. Uh, 49ers are nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, Bucks at the Lions. Lions are six-and-a-half-point favorites. We live in a world where the Lions are nearly a touchdown favorite in a playoff game. Goodness gracious. And then you've got the Chiefs and the Bills uh, in Buffalo. Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites. With these two one seeds, the Ravens and the 49ers getting ready to play, which do you think is more ripe for an upset? Which is more likely, the Texans going into Baltimore and beating the Ravens or the Packers going into San Francisco and handling the 49ers? That's a good question because it's a tough question. Um, I was impressed by what the Packers did. And just a note to the Eagles this week, shockingly, the Packers run a very successful offense with the quarterback under center. Yeah. It's like some people you have, oh, you can't. Everybody's had a shotgun. Everything is spread. How the hell did the Packers look? make their offense look that good against Dallas in Dallas with the quarterback coming on the center 70% of the time? I still like under center. I like the shotgun, but to the level and extent the NFL has taken, it is ridiculous. So I, I was very impressed by the Packers. I thought that they would stay close with the Cowboys. I took the seven points last week. Did I know they are going to win handily? No, I did not. Can they do it two weeks in a row? Probably. The 49ers should win that game. Do I think it's going to be a blowout? I don't know. I haven't even made my mind up whether I'm going to take the point tonight. Almost 10. That's a pretty damn big number. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I think it's going to be competitive. And I absolutely going to believe it's going to be competitive in the AFC. The Texans, as much as the Packers uh, surprised me and impressed me, Texans more so. Mm-hmm. Uh they have just done a phenomenal job. Here's why I loved it, John. And I said this on Birds 365 and CBS and anywhere else that I work. 
myths were destroyed this past week. Yeah. The Ohio State quarterbacks, you should never take one in the draft. Who's it? Art Schleister, the last Ohio State. How is C.J. Stroud doing? Where did he go? Oh, Ohio State. So I guess Ohio State quarterbacks are okay. You can't win if you don't have a boy genius offensive minded head coach. Oh, yeah. How's the Texans coach doing? Just yeah. fine? Yeah, maybe coach of the year in the National Football League? That's a load of bunk, and it always was, and it played out itself that way this year. So I like the fact that a couple of uh, quote-unquote myths, and as far as C.J. Stroud goes, the whole C2 cognitive test thing. What a <laughs> load of crap that was. Uh, did did yeah. you see Florio's posting on that? It never I even didn't. dawned on me. Um, he suggested that that was a plant. Wow. That an organization who was hoping to get into position to draft Stroud, maybe he could move up, trade the four, five, five or six, to get him out of the top two, that they planted that story. Mm. I don't know if it's true or not, but it, they, I'd never even thought along those lines. As soon as I heard it, I go, oh, wow, now that makes sense. Because I had never heard of the damn test before. No. And people are quoting, is it, this really <laughs> could affect his draft status. God bless the Houston Texans for saying, we're not, uh, oh, he can't run a joystick. Yeah, we better not take him with the second pick in the draft. They stuck to their guns. They got themselves a franchise quarterback. More power to them. I'm going to take them plus the points against Baltimore. All right. Well, there you go, folks. It should be, even though the Eagles aren't a part of it, frankly, we might enjoy this playoff weekend more with the Eagles. No not shot. Yeah, just, you're, you're flat out wrong. The, the pain is still too right, John. Still they're not, they're not they, the Cowboys can't lose and the Eagles can't win. No, they'll yeah. just watch football and bet on it, but there'll be no joy in Mudville. The mighty Eagles have struck out. Well, I will tell you though, if those 49ers did enough to make me to make me put them okay. on a pedestal of hate that I'm 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 going to be I'm going to be doom watching them and and hoping things bad, bad things happen to that football team as well. Um so when, uh, when, when Purdy completes 75% of his passes <sighs> and throws for three touchdowns, I'm sorry to say you're going to yeah. have to deal with that. Big I time. am. I'm going to have to deal. I know that I know that that's the inevitability of it all. But uh <laughs> hey, listen. Jody's going to be talking about all this stuff on Birds 365 over the next uh, few weeks and months. Of course, when he's on WIP in Philadelphia, when he's on WFAN in New York, and of course, anytime you hear him on CBS Sports Radio, nobody better to talk football with uh, than Jody McDonald. Jody, thank you so much for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it. Stolness, you know I owe you anytime you need me. All you got to do is ask. Thank you, sir. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, well, before we look a little bit more into the divisional round of the playoffs, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this in closing about the, the coaching situation. I just I don't see any I, I don't see the logic behind keeping Nick Sirianni as head coach unless he's giving you something as the CEO head coach that is invaluable and maybe there is maybe there is something I, I don't I don't understand what it is he he already demoted himself in his first season when he took play calling duties away from himself so he took that tool out of his tool belt. So you have to find an offensive coordinator that can call plays. And ideally, you'd like to find one that has experience calling plays at the NFL level. So Nick Sirianni's influence in the offense is going to pretty much disappear if you're bringing in an offensive coordinator like that. 
Nick Sirianni's scheme is the same scheme that he's been running for the last three years, and my guess is Jeffrey Lurie is going to say, that needs to go. We need to do something different. So if it's not Nick Sirianni's scheme anymore, it's going to be whatever scheme it is of the new offensive coordinator they bring in, which we all assume they're going to bring in a new offensive coordinator. And if they don't, if Brian Johnson stays, which you know I at once at one time thought was the, the most logical thing to do, but hearing these different reports, as you heard me talk about with Jody, about how these two guys couldn't get on the same page together, I don't see how that partnership's going to work. So you bring in a new offensive coordinator. Or at the very least, you bring in a new offensive guru to come in and hopefully not create too many chefs in the kitchen and bring in some of this Kyle Shanahan stuff or some of the stuff that other teams are doing successfully, putting Hertz under center a little bit more and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what is what is Sirianni's role in the offense then? What is, what is he doing? If it's not going to be his scheme and he's not going to call the plays, well, and he's, he's certainly not going to have anything to do with the defense, that he was never brought in to do that, well, then he's in charge of game management. Well, that's what he was supposed to do here in 2023, and he was lousy at it, making bad calls on fourth down, using timeouts at wrong times, having a, not being able to get players in at the right time. Uh, it's it was bad. He may he he was not a good in-game manager this year. He was much better in 2022. Not a good in-game manager in 2023 at all. So if you bring Nick Sirianni back, I, I just I, it feels to me like you are delaying the inevitable and i i just it, this is an opportunity this offseason where you've got a ton of really good head coaching candidates and you've got some guys who if you wanted a veteran presence to come in here and stabilize things like a bill belichick uh like mike frable like pete carroll even a potentially a jim harbaugh Right, you you've got some of these guys, these these old head guys who could come in and take control of the locker room, and they can bring in their young offensive coordinator, they can bring in their their hot defensive coordinator, they can do whatever they want to, and you're not you know that these guys bring something else to the table. I don't know what Nick Sirianni brings to the table if you bring him back, and I think you're you're taking an opportunity away from yourself. You're taking a year away from Jalen Hurts' prime, a year away from Brown's prime, Smith's prime, Goddard's prime, everybody else on the defense who is going to be sticking around for 2024. It's you're wa- it seems to me you're wasting a year, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now. Maybe they bring some people in. Nick Sirianni gets into a real good groove with these guys. It doesn't seem as though he's lost the locker room, even though it sure seemed like in that playoff game, players just kind of quit midway through, knowing that they had, knowing that their coach had no answers for them. They're saying all the right things, but I wonder what they're saying behind the scenes, if it's the same thing that they're saying in public. Um, we don't know yet, as we record here late on Friday night, but I... I would move on from Nick Sirianni. I, I just, I don't see the rationale for keeping him. I don't see what it is that he would bring to the table. And I think this is an opportunity where you have a number of really good head coaching candidates that are out there. And if you wanted to go Ben Johnson or this guy Slowick from, from the Texans, there's some other guys you could bring in. You could bring in the young defensive coordinator from the Ravens. Uh, you could bring in another young defensive coordinator from someplace else. Uh, maybe interview the 49ers defensive coordinator for a head coaching gig. I, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, you've you've got you've got an opportunity here to to do something now because I just I I don't I don't see what Nick Sirianni is bringing to the table. If he had answers, he would have used them during the last two months of the season. That's the bottom line. If he had the answers with all of this offensive talent, he would have provided that. He would have provided it, and he didn't. So I don't I don't know how he can then go into Jeffrey Lurie's office and say. 
I've got a plan for turning it around. If you had a plan for turning it around, and maybe it's just, I have a plan for turning it around. We got to hire this guy. Okay, fine. But you know, you're telling me that Brian Johnson was that much of a liability that you, you couldn't do some of the things that you wanted to do as the head coach under your scheme with all of these players. No, I don't buy it. So it just doesn't make any sense to me to bring Nick Sirianni back. I would move on from Nick Sirianni if I was Jeffrey Lurie, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. All right. Divisional round Texans at the Ravens. You heard Jody's uh, pick on that one. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I think the Ravens win this game. Um, I think the, I think the Texans keep it close and I, I think nine is a, a pretty big number the way the Texans are playing. Uh, so I will take, uh, the Texans to uh, come in under the number there. I don't think the Ravens will cover, but, uh, I think the Ravens end up winning that game Packers at the 49ers, man, the Packers are a red hot team, but I just want to caution everybody. We've seen teams play great in the wild card round and then you go to the number one seed who had the week off and you go into their house and that bubble bursts pretty quickly. I just don't see Jordan Love and that really young team after going into Dallas and doing what they did, going into San Francisco and knocking off the 49ers who have a week of rest under their belt, have been the best team in football all season long, but really most of the season. The Ravens right now probably are ahead of them in most of the power rankings, but the 49ers are nine and a half point favorites for a reason. I think the I think the 49ers actually cover that number. I think the Packers show some things, but the 49ers will exert their authority here, and I think it's a fairly comfortable win for San Francisco. The bubble bursts a little bit for Green, a little bit for Green Bay. Green Bay has already achieved way more than anybody could have thought, and certainly they're going to be next year's Lions, right? They're going to be the team that um, took a big step forward this year, made the playoffs, won a playoff game, blew out the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Just a phenomenal season for them. Uh, and then I, I think the run ends in San Francisco. Buccaneers at the Lions. The Buccaneers were not impressive against the Eagles on Monday night. Plus, the Buccaneers have a short week uh, going into Detroit. Uh, the Lions are, are are riding pretty high right now, six-and-a-half-point favorites. It's just a, it's a cool story. Uh, I think the Lions handle Tampa pretty easily, actually. I think they'll cover that as well. And then you have the Chiefs at the Bills. Bills as a home team, only favored by two and a half. Normally, the home team gets three points, so uh, most experts are believing the Chiefs are a little bit better than Buffalo. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money on Patrick Mahomes. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the guy who continues to to do it week in and week out. I know it's been a struggle for the Chiefs, but it's it's the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes knows what to do when playoff time rolls around. And they are not intimidated going to Buffalo to take on Josh Allen and the Bills. And Josh Allen and the Bills find a way to screw it up every year. I don't see why this year is going to be any different. I did pick the Bills to go to the Super Bowl in the preseason and uh, to lose to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Uh, but I do think they are going to lose at home to the Chiefs. I'm rooting for the Bills. I want the Bills to win. But I think the Chiefs are going to go in, and I think they're going to be the one road team to go in and secure an upset this weekend uh, by going into Buffalo and handling Josh Allen and the Bills. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Jody McDonald again for coming on the podcast and chatting with me about this Eagles team and uh, what lies ahead 
for the birds over these next few weeks and months. And we'll continue to talk to folks about the Eagles, uh, what's coming up, uh, what uh, coaching decisions they may make, and we'll of course, be keeping an eye on the NFL playoffs as well. Uh, I think uh, most of us are all rooting for a 49ers loss <laughs> this weekend. Uh, we'd love to see the Packers knock off San Francisco. Uh, and uh, and I think if, if there's one thing that we can watch this weekend, if, again, we're, like I mentioned with Jody, if we're, if we're doom-watching a little bit, it's to watch San Francisco hopefully get upset and knocked out of the playoffs at some point, just so that they are as miserable as we are. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week right here on Eye on the Enemy. G and